Welcome to the Homewood Flossmore Chronicles podcast, Here First, sponsored by Thomas Brabeck, attorney at law. As a freelance writer, Carrie Steinweg is used to working from home, so it wasn't a huge adjustment for her in late March 2020 when COVID-19 hit and most of the country went on lockdown. She barely left the house for months, didn't visit friends or extended family, and changed her habits, shifting to things like online grocery shopping. In addition to authoring children's books and running her freelance business, Carrie is a busy mom of five teenage and young adult sons. For nearly 30 years, she's been married to her husband, Paul, who works as a paramedic. Infection rates had been on a low simmer all summer after the spring peak in May. Virus spread started to rise in September, but as October ended, it was about to spike dramatically, far exceeding the worst of the spring rates. And that's when it found Carrie. Nothing could prepare Carrie for the extreme fatigue that hit her on Halloween. It started a roller coaster of sickness that stretched past Thanksgiving. As a journalist, she documented her journey to share with the Chronicle. Here, we tell the story of Carrie's battle against COVID over the course of 28 days. Carrie wakes up late on Halloween, surprised to look at her Fitbit to see it's 11 a.m. It's a free day, so she's happy that she slept a solid nine hours. Carrie has no idea her body's reluctance to wake up is a sign of severe fatigue to come. I can't remember the last time I slept all night long and woke up that late. But it was a busy week and I figured that my body just needed to make up for some lost sleep. She starts her day getting ready for trick-or-treaters who will catch mini candy bars from the shoot her husband built to help the family enjoy social distance Halloween fun. Meanwhile, one of her sons walks in the door from his morning run. He had to stop his run after five miles and couldn't finish, which is kind of strange for him. He said he felt like he had something respiratory going on. On Sunday, Carrie sleeps in again, feeling lazy and tired all day. She wakes up early on Monday to get her sons ready for e-learning. She's still got a nagging headache, but dismisses it as election day stress and takes some Tylenol. That night, I baked to desserts to donate to Meals on Wheels, which I dropped off at a local church the next day. I was in the building for less than a minute. Of course, I was wearing a mask, and I didn't get within six feet of the three volunteers that were there. She goes back home. It's election day, but Carrie mailed her ballot weeks ago. It's a good thing, too, because by lunchtime, her headache has worsened, and she's feeling nauseated. The light hurts her eyes. Any noise makes her head throb. She feels weak and fatigued and lies in bed all day, hoping the feeling will go away. By the next day, she thinks, we'll know who won the presidential election, and she'll wake up feeling okay. Both of Carrie's assumptions are wrong. Wednesday, November 4th, washes over Carrie in a wave of uncertainty and ill feeling. Her headache is just as bad as the day before, and she feels sick, really sick. She's developing what seems like every symptom of COVID. She can barely drag herself out of bed because of the fatigue she feels. Her back hurts, her ears hurt, her neck feels swollen. Even her teeth and gums feel sore. She starts to cough and she has a sore throat. Her stomach is constantly nauseated and she's in and out of the bathroom all day. 
Then Carrie notices she has developed one of COVID's most notorious symptoms. She has lost her senses of taste and smell. I felt completely congested, like it was the peak of allergy season. I couldn't smell or taste anything, which was fine because I didn't have an appetite. Even when she tries to eat, Carrie can't hold her food down. By this point, Carrie's husband feels awful, too, and calls in sick to his job as a paramedic. The couple's five sons, who include teens and young adults, are all sleeping a lot, but they're not having any symptoms besides feeling tired. If the family does have COVID-19, Carrie figures it's probably because Paul inadvertently brought the virus home from work. Their modest Cape Cod home keeps the family of seven physically close, with only one bathroom and no spare bedroom where anyone can isolate. They know they need to get COVID tests. Paul requests a test through his job, and Carrie leaves a message for her doctor. The next two days pass much the same for Carrie, who doesn't eat or do much of anything. At one point, she manages to dump some chicken in the slow cooker for her kids to make tacos, more likely propelled by a mother's innate obligation to feed her kids rather than any actual physical energy. Paul gets confirmation he has COVID. But while he's already got his results back, Carrie is still waiting for her doctor's referral to get a test. Not that it matters much, she thinks. I had every symptom that I read on a list published on the CDC website. If Paul had COVID and had many of the same symptoms, I knew I very likely had it too. She can barely lift her head off the pillow to take a drink of water. When Carrie goes to the bathroom, it makes her so winded that she's out of breath for an hour afterward. As she lies in bed at night, she says it feels like there's a brick sitting on her chest. Pretty soon, she's winded from doing absolutely nothing. Now Carrie's starting to get scared. On Saturday, November 7th, a little bottle of orange-scented hand cream convinces Carrie that she has COVID-19. Every day for the past week, she's been testing her senses by smelling the hand cream. Though her senses of taste and smell were mostly diminished, every day before, she could still pick up the sweet odor of the orange lotion. That day, I reached for it and put it up to my nose. Nothing. I could not smell it. That was the moment I resigned myself to the fact that I most certainly had COVID-19. According to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, loss of smell is experienced by up to 80% of COVID-positive people. The cause isn't completely known, though doctors think two causes could be extreme congestion and a loss of the neurons in the nose that pick up scent. Along with her loss of smell, Carrie is still fighting all the same symptoms. She's consistently running a low-grade fever around 100 degrees now. It's the weekend, so she emails her doctor with another message about her symptoms and suspicions of COVID-19. The doctor says she should watch out for shortness of breath, which Carrie already had, along with chest pain or lightheadedness. And if any of her symptoms worsen, she should go to the ER. Only nine days in and Carrie gets on the scale and sees she's lost weight from not eating. The searing headache she had at the start is gone, but despite this relief, Carrie only feels weaker. She needs help getting up to go to the bathroom, leaning on Paul or one of her sons to get from the bed and back. Over the next few days, things worsen. 
Carrie sleeps on the couch in the living room because it's easier for reaching the first floor bathroom. She wants a COVID test, but cannot even muster the energy to arrange for one or even get in the car. Paul is still sick too, but he vacillates between resting for an entire day and having a spurt of energy. I was scared to admit it, but it was getting harder for me to breathe. I knew things were getting worse. It, I was getting a feeling of tightening in my chest, like someone pressing on it. I started to think about stories from early in the pandemic when people would go into the hospital and be put on a ventilator. And I was scared at that thought. As she considers her situation, two questions haunt Carrie. What if I go to the ER and wind up on a ventilator? And what if I don't come home? By Thursday, November 12th, Carrie has all three of the symptoms her doctor told her should trigger a visit to the ER. She's been suffering from shortness of breath and chest pain for days, and now she's lightheaded. She hasn't eaten for a week, and the dizziness she feels pushes Carrie to call the doctor's office, which schedules a virtual appointment for the following afternoon. Carrie tells Paul how hard it is to breathe. He gets out his stethoscope to check her blood pressure and listen to her lungs. He said that the sounds of my breathing were diminished on my right side, which could be a sign of pneumonia. During her virtual appointment, Carrie's doctor agrees her condition is serious and recommends she go to the ER for treatment. They'll probably give you some medication and send you home, the doctor reassures her. Again, the assumptions are wrong. When Carrie gets to the hospital, she won't go home again for a while. It's Friday the 13th. The next few hours of Carrie Steinweg's life are marked by a BLT, a fight song, an x-ray, and an IV. When she finally musters enough energy to collect herself, Carrie and Paul leave for the hospital. For the first time in days, she feels hungry and asks Paul to go through the drive-thru at Panera Bread. It's only a quarter of a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, and Carrie can't smell or taste it, but the small meal is more than she's eaten in a week and she doesn't know when she'll next have the opportunity to eat once she gets to the ER. Carrie is directed to a private room in the emergency department. She's alone. Paul isn't allowed to go in with her. A doctor quickly confirms Carrie's lung sounds are abnormal. She has pneumonia. A chest x-ray and a battery of blood tests come next before an intravenous line is placed in Carrie's arm to administer antibiotic drugs. Though the doctor hoped to send her home, Carrie's oxygen levels are too low now. She'll be admitted and spend the night in a hospital bed. While I was waiting, I could faintly hear the song, Fight Song, playing outside in the hallway. I remember seeing news coverage of healthcare workers playing the song when COVID-19 patients are released from the hospital as kind of a victory song. She figures a COVID-19 patient is being discharged. And after a few more hours, Carrie gets moved to a regular hospital room that she assumes was probably occupied by the person who just got to go home. The next day greets Carrie with IV antibiotics, steroids for her lungs, and injections of blood thinners into her stomach. She passes the time by watching TV reruns and texting with family, all the while being fed oxygen from a tube placed under her nose. It feels good to eat and Carrie consumes about half of her hospital meals. Though she still can't taste the food, her terribly sore throat is soothed by cold ice cream and hot soup. 
Sunday, November 15th. Carrie is on day number three of her hospital stay, on a floor she's told is half filled with COVID patients. She's done with the antibiotic treatment, but still has to deal with taking steroids and blood thinner injections in her stomach. The nurses told me I was an easy patient, meaning I didn't have too many complications. Despite these encouraging words, Carrie feels no improvement in her condition. Her breathing is still labored. Nurses say her oxygen level is improving, but the number dips when they briefly remove her oxygen tube. It's Monday, November 16th. After two weeks of terrible sickness and four days in the hospital, Carrie can't wait to see the respiratory therapist walk into her room. Once she gets clearance from the therapist, Carrie can go home. She's still getting rounds of steroids and blood thinners, but her oxygen levels are acceptable. Around 5 p.m., Carrie hears that she's getting discharged. Then the thing that happened when she first got to the hospital, the small but uplifting moment she overheard, happened to her. As a nurse and security guard wheeled Carrie to the exit, the nurse plays Fight Song by Rachel Platten on her phone. The song adopted by hospital staff is an anthem of personal victory over COVID. And they dance. They dance for Carrie while the song plays, and she sees the exit come into view. Over the loudspeaker, they announced that a COVID-19 survivor was being discharged. I got a little teary-eyed, enough that my mask got damp from the tears. It did feel like a victory to go home. Others are not so lucky. Carrie is happy to go home. She's joyful and comforted to see her husband after four days apart. But the truth is, she doesn't feel any better than she did four days earlier when she got to the hospital. Carrie's happy to be home, but she still feels rotten. She passes the days by watching TV, napping, and cuddling on the sofa with the family's dog, a 14-year-old mutt named Waffle. At this point, she's eating regularly and even regaining some weight. My sister arranged for some meals to be delivered, which was so nice. My best friend made several dishes, lasagna, chili, soup, cookies, and dropped them off. Our family was well-fed, and I didn't have to think about meals at all, and I was so grateful for all the help. Sunday, November 22nd. After 23 days fighting the COVID-19 infection, Carrie finally feels like she's turning a corner. During the day, she feels more alert and energetic. Though her body still feels weak, she's eating and can walk between rooms without help. She sits upright in a chair for the first time in weeks. She showers and it feels so good, even though she sits on a stool, unable to stay on her feet for very long. But while some of Carrie's initial COVID symptoms ease up, others linger. Her cough quiets down, but the sore throat comes and goes. Her congestion lessens, but she still cannot taste or smell. The terrible nausea is finally gone, but her body aches all over. New ailments emerge too, side effects of her medication. Because of the blood thinners, I started noticing bruises popping up on my body. I still have bruises from any spot where I had blood samples taken or an IV inserted in the hospital. I was also getting random bloody noses. One bad one lasted for two hours. 
Like many serious COVID patients, Carrie is completing a round of steroid treatment to control the swelling in her lungs and airway. Inexpensive and readily available, steroids have reduced the risk of death by one-third among people hospitalized with COVID, according to an analysis by the World Health Organization. And while the steroids are undoubtedly helping Carrie, they're also causing awful insomnia. She can't sleep for more than three hours in a stretch. A lack of activity means her leg circulation is poor, causing excruciating leg cramps. She spends hours writhing in pain. They are extremely painful, like nine and a half on a one to ten scale. I take Tylenol, but it doesn't help at all. One night, the cramps went on for three hours, and it was excruciating. Over the next few days, Carrie works to shake the same lingering symptoms. Sore throat, coughing, bloody noses, insomnia, and shortness of breath. Paul goes back to work, and so do Carrie's sons. She's worried about being left alone during the day, but she can sit at the computer and work now instead of spending the whole day on the sofa. Food still lacks flavor because of her loss of taste and smell, but she's got her appetite back just in time for Thanksgiving. On the Wednesday before, Carrie rides in the passenger seat for a grocery pickup. Seeing the packed parking lot, she's thankful for online ordering. In addition to the complete catered Boston Market meal her sisters ordered for the family, Carrie finds herself emerging from nearly a month of sickness. It's not a normal holiday by any stretch of the imagination, but she's up and she's eating. I missed being able to celebrate Thanksgiving with my extended family. I'm usually with some or all of my five siblings and my parents. My mom passed away in October after suffering a stroke in August, and it was the first holiday without her. We miss her terribly. Even though she still can't taste or smell the food, a hungry Carrie eats every bit of dinner. Turkey, all the trimmings, and apple pie for dessert. Her heart is full. She feels blessed to be alive. Friday, November 27th. It's day 28. It has officially been a month since Carrie got knocked down by COVID, an illness that swept through her home and sent her to the ER. For four weeks, Carrie's body has been a battleground, her system beating back a viral infection with help from a battery of treatments and drugs. Oxygen, IV antibiotics, steroids, blood thinners. People recovering from COVID must also recover from the effects of powerful pharmaceutical treatments used to combat their illness. Carrie feels well enough to work a bit, something she hasn't done in four weeks. So there are a lot of emails to clean out and new deadlines to track. At this point, I still cough. I still have a sore throat. I'm still tired and feel weakness in my legs. Leg cramps continue to plague her, breaking up her sleep at night. She takes a few short naps on the couch each day to give her enough energy to keep going. Little trips out of the house feel like big wins. One son drives her to the bank and to Dunkin' for a treat. It feels good to be out in the fresh air again, and she enjoys the company of her 19-year-old. Carrie's first real outing in a month comes in a trip to pick out the family's Christmas tree. She is still looking at several more weeks of recovery. 
Still feeling winded and weak, Carrie uses a device that's meant to exercise her lungs. She's diligent, but it doesn't feel like she's making much progress. This is going to take a while. I'm still just really tired, but that will happen when you only sleep three hours a night. Hopefully, I can get back to my regular sleep pattern and the leg cramps will go away. Smells still elude Carrie, but she can taste food a bit now. She wants that feeling again, the pleasure that comes from a great lunch or dinner. I write a food blog and food is just a huge part of my life. I look forward to really enjoying a good meal again sometime soon. I'm feeling much better, but I know I still have a while to go in my recovery. Despite working from home, avoiding stores, and following protocols anytime she did venture out, Carrie still contracted COVID-19. She's not naive. She knows her husband or one of her sons probably brought the virus home. I have no way of knowing for sure where I contracted the virus, but I was about as careful as I could be, and I still got it. I got really sick, and I'm still a little bit sick. I am so fortunate, however, that I am recovering, as so many have not. My advice for anyone who has the ability or luxury, stay home in the coming weeks and months. And if you go out, wear a mask and be careful. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing your story with us. Sponsored by Thomas Brabeck, Attorney at Law. For wills, trusts, and real estate litigation. 